This is Rocket Fuel Radio, the show about doing good and doing well. I'm Joshua Johnson, and I want to talk for a minute about race relations in America. I'm going to say something that you might find crazy, but give me a second to back it up. I think that race relations in the United States right now are the very best they have ever been in the history of our nation. I know, crazy, right? And it's easy to think otherwise, what with all the presidential election talk of building a wall on the Mexican border and the ongoing Black Lives Matter movement. It can seem pretty tumultuous. In fact, a recent nonpartisan poll by Rasmussen found that 60% of likely voters in the U.S., 60%, believe that race relations have gotten worse since Barack Obama became president. Not necessarily because he became president, but just during his administration. 60%. That is up sharply in the last few years. But break down the numbers a little further, and it might start to make sense why I'm so positive about race relations. I'm black, and black voters were the least likely to say that things are worse. Only 38%. Whites? 66%, two-thirds, and other minority groups are basically split down the middle. Yes, there's a lot of arguing about race these days. Yes, you have people shouting Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. But hey, at least we're talking. I mean, we have never, ever had such a raw, real, complex, and meaningful national conversation about race in this country ever. America's racial hierarchy used to be the kind of thing many people could avoid dealing with or avoid having a strong opinion about. (laughs) Not anymore. It's inescapable. That does not mean that things are worse. It means that more of us are bearing the burden of it, which is exactly what should be happening. And say what you want about Black Lives Matter. It has successfully taken every single American off the sidelines of race and put all of us into the game. And Black Lives Matter is having a larger impact, too. I mean, when Trayvon Martin was killed back in 2012, or when Eric Garner was choked to death by NYPD officers in 2014, it took the U.S. Department of Justice some time to get involved. But last month, when Alton Sterling was shot dead in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the Justice Department intervened the very next day. Things are changing. And I have a lot of hope that they will keep changing for the better. But that's just law enforcement. What about day-to-day life? Now, most of us, thankfully, will never have a racially charged encounter that involves a life or death scenario with a police officer. Most of our encounters will just happen in our daily lives in ways that pop up without warning. What can we do about those situations? I mean, where do you even start? Well, to try and answer that, I called on Sima Lieberman. She's a consultant based in Berkeley, California. Her practice focuses on diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Ms. Lieberman has also worked on helping law enforcement agencies strengthen ties with their communities. Here's my conversation with Sima. So, Sima Lieberman, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Talk about the work that you do with companies in terms of diversity. I would imagine that there are circumstances, probably not as extreme as the ones that Black Lives Matter deals with, but that there are circumstances where diverse groups of employees don't feel like their needs are being met, like they're being heard, like they're being seen, like they're validated, like they're truly appreciated, where they don't feel like the company is actually giving them their due or where the company is just kind of overlooking them. 
Talk about how those play out and how you you deal with those. I wonder if there are parallels in terms of reaching across culturally with movements like Black Lives Matter in a smaller environment like a company. Yeah, well, I think so in, in, in many ways. One of the projects I'm working on is working with companies to find and unlock hidden employee talent or hidden hidden genius in their organization. People get hired because of their creativity. They get hired because somebody thinks, oh, well, they're really good at what they do. But once they get in the organization, if they don't look, act, and speak like the people who are running the organization, what happens is oftentimes they don't get heard. So when they don't get heard, people either work but they don't contribute, they leave to start their own businesses. We can see a lot of startups, a lot of people of color have startups now, or they go work for a competitor. One could say, if you're, if you're a leader of an organization, you could say, well, I'm not a racist. I want to hear from everybody, but in practice, that's not what's happening because yeah, if, if you're, you're if you're always around your own kind of people, you take it for granted. You don't really think, oh well, here's people that I haven't asked for their opinion. Maybe even just maybe they're just introverts, whatever it is. So you have to really become conscious and say, I'm going to start including and bringing people in and accessing diversity of thought in a different way. Well, it's kind of frightening, isn't it? Like right. you don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to put your yeah. foot in your mouth. Like it might just be easier or seem easier not to even engage because you don't want to rattle a hornet's nest. Right. And that's how people get that's how people get left out. That's how people start feeling like their contributions don't matter when maybe the, the manager saying, well, I'm doing everything I can because I'm not racist and I'm treating everybody equally. But, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so I don't, but ultimately they don't say anything. What about a sense of urgency? It occurs to me that when it reaches a point in this country that African Americans feel the need to block traffic, to, you know, which is yeah. inherently dangerous to do, to block a highway, that it's reached a level of urgency that it can't wait anymore. But yeah. once you get to that point, someone's got to go first. Like, someone's got to be the one to start pushing for a solution. Talk about that next step. We've got the attention of the nation. The whole country knows that this is a thing. How do we move toward a solution from here? Especially with people who are like, okay, you've blocked traffic enough already. Let's do something. How do you move toward that next step? We just start bringing people together, police and community. And not just to talk about the issues. I mean, I mean you do, but first you have to get people to see each other as human beings. Because when you don't see somebody as a human being, it's easy to kill them. If you're afraid of them, it's easy to kill them. So I think that what we have to do now is we do have to have those conversations. We have to make, we, we have to have conversations and we have to change things policy-wide. And people need to be thinking in terms of bias. And we need to be able to bring in people that, there's a lot of people really that want to learn. There's a lot of people, they just don't know what to do. Talk about some of the work that you've done with police departments and police officers in terms of bridging those racial and cultural gaps that they do hopefully recognize, maybe sometimes they don't recognize. How do you actually go about bridging those gaps, resolving those issues, building more trust? What do you do? 
Well, when I go in first, like if I'm doing like a training, a lot of cops are used to people coming in and doing the training like the, like people who are into a blame thing. I mean, no, and again, would you rather be right or would you get rather get results? I want to get results. I want people to change. So when I go into police force, sometimes I'll say, look, because they're sitting with their arms crossed, I'll say, I'm not here to tell you not to arrest people, but wouldn't you rather arrest the right person? No, yes. I'm not here to tell you not to even shoot people, but wouldn't you rather shoot the right people? They say, yeah. I said, because if you arrest the wrong person or shoot the wrong person, then somebody who's committing crimes is still going to be out there. I said, and also, if you need to go into any community, wouldn't you like to have the right information? Wouldn't you like people to talk to you? And they say, I said, well, I'm here to make your job easier. So you're willing to see that by understanding the communities that they where, where they work, that it's going to make their lives, it's going to make their work easier. And there's going to be cops who are like stone racist, you know, I mean, and I've known some of those. You know, maybe they'll change, but they're not going to change by anything that I do. But then you have people that just don't know. They are, and they are afraid. But then you have people in communities who are also afraid. So you have two groups of people who are afraid of each other, but if you can bring people together to talk to each other, then maybe if I'm that cop and I know some, some, some young black guys, some young black kids, and I've gotten to know them, that when I see another black kid, my first thought's not gonna be, oh, ru he's running, he must be a criminal. You know, my thought might be, you know, maybe he's late for dinner or whatever it is. And if I'm that person in the community, if I'm like that, a black person in the community, I mean, I, I mean I'm not black, I don't know, but, but, this is, but for, just from people that I, I talk to, and what I've seen, if you're that black person and you know some cops, you have a relationship, you've talked to them, the next time you see a cop, you're not gonna think immediately, oh, cop must be a horrible, horrible person. Because we have to be able to start bridging, and the way that, I, that we could bridge is by having opportunities to really engage. Is there a tipping point at which a level of familiarity of humanizing springs into action? At what point does that cultural gap close enough for everyone at the table to say, you know what, we need to do something? When does that tipping point happen? Pretty quickly. Because you could talk forever and ever and ever, but I mean, you reach a point where you know each other, you know each and people find commonalities in multiple identities. So if you're a cop, you're more than just a cop. If you're a white cop, you're more, if you're a black cop, if you're like a black person, white person, whatever, we're more than just that one identity. Maybe you're into gardening and maybe I'm into gardening, but we find those commonalities and then we connect. And then once we do that, then we need to fairly quickly then move into the issues because if not, you know, we don't want to just sit around and talk while people are being killed all the time, like cops and, and people are being killed. So you just got to open that door a little bit and then once you begin to open that door, then you can start to move purposefully toward, toward larger issues. Right, because if you start out, I mean, sometimes you could start out with talking about solutions right away. Sometimes it'll work, but overall, most of the time, People have to get to know each other, even if just for an hour, whatever it is, but people have to see each other as people. Because if I don't see you as a person, and we're gonna just talk about solutions, then I'm, gonna be, I'm, I'm only gonna be thinking in terms of my solution and what I want. I'm not gonna be listening to you or even thinking about what you want, and I'm immediately gonna think you're gonna be wrong anyway, so it doesn't matter what you say. Talk to, specifically since you deal with companies and, and organizations, talk to the organizational leader who is beginning to see the need to reach across. The clouds are starting to lift. They're beginning maybe to think about this in a different way and they go, okay, I'm convinced 
what's step one. I don't know how to engage. I don't know what to do, but I wanna, I wanna say something. I wanna do something. I wanna help. I don't know what I can say that would be beneficial, that wouldn't sound stupid. Give me step one for someone who wants to help. Step one is to call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, granted, okay. Okay. Absent uh, that. So give me step two then. Okay. Step two is to just start listening and engaging. I have this thing where I say, you know, take diversity to lunch. And what I mean by that is go out to lunch with somebody that you don't know, that doesn't look like you. Okay, so let's role play this. So I'm the, the white executive boss and I want to do this. I want to reach out to some of my black employees, but I don't want to ask that question in a way that sounds like the dumb white guy, the ignorant white guy that I am. How do I phrase that? Like, what do I say? How do I ask for that? Well, first you gotta know that you are gonna sound like the dumb white guy, but that's okay. Because- <laughs> It's okay. Tell me, who was born, no matter what color you are, who was born from the minute knowing what to say to people who are not like you? I mean, you could be a black person, but if you say you're around like all, all Vietnamese people, you're not gonna know what to say. Here's what you have to do, really, because it's, it's about being culturally intelligent. If I'm a white guy and, I, and I'm feeling awkward but I really want to learn, first I'm, I'm going to listen. I'm going to really listen. I'm going to read. I'm going to read history. I'm going to want to find out, like if we're talking about particularly around black people, I'm going to want to read history. Gonna, you need to read Warmth of Other Suns. If anybody, if you're white and you, you haven't read Warmth of Other Suns, you need, and if you're black too, you need, and especially if you're young, you right. need it. But you really need to read that, and I think that's going to give you an, a better understanding. Um, I think you need to read, you need to be curious, and you need to be willing to ask questions. And if there's an employee resource group, because one of the complaints that a lot of employee resource groups have, especially like black, what, what any resource group, is that leaders say that they support them, but they don't have any contact, they don't have any communication. So then if there's an employee resource group or if there's somebody that's kind of influential, you need to just say, hey, let's go out to lunch. And go out to lunch and tell them how you feel. And let them know, you know, I'm, I don't even know what to say, but I care and I don't even know what to do. And ask people, what they, now, you know, ask more than one person because, you know, if you just ask like one person, they might- To be the spokesperson. To be the spokesperson, right. you know. I mean, it's like, they could say anything they want, you know. They could say, jump off a cliff, and you go, oh yeah, a black person told me to jump off a cliff, so I'm gonna jump off a cliff. <laughs> I'm hearing two things from you. I'm hearing to own your ignorance, yeah. and not to allow it to scare you off. And I'm hearing you say that the inquiry should begin with yourself, and not relying on this other person to educate you. If you want to know, there's yeah. a lot, it sounds like you're saying, there's a lot you can do on your own before you go to someone and start the conversation. It's not all on them. Yeah. And, and go to some events. Go hear somebody speak. Go hear, you know, if somebody's talking about black history or somebody's talking about something that's relevant, just go and listen. And then just start talking to people because if you go to something like that, you can get other people who are interested. You could be the only white person there, it doesn't matter. Just, but just start talking to people and say, what brings you here? Here's why I'm here. Looking at the state of the way that things are now, I think it's easy to feel like they're pretty bleak and they're gonna be that way for a while. What gives you hope that any of this can be made better? Well, you know, whenever I see people talking to each other, when I see people talking to each other and people sitting down and really engaged and really listening, 
And when I see people really engaging, really listening, who are not like just the activists, or I see white people who are not just like the guilty white people, which the, but people who are like seeing each other as peers, that gives me a lot of hope. Or even like the Dallas police force, that gives me a lot of hope. Um, and just seeing people talking, that always gives me hope. And you know what else? Cultural mashups and music. Like you see Eminem and Dr. Dre doing some stuff. You know, you see Kendrick Lamar doing stuff with Imagine Dragons. I mean, that kind of, I, some people might, you know, that, that, that I'm out of my mind for thinking that way, but people are influenced by pop culture. And when we see pop culture, people doing cultural mashups, working together on different projects and speaking out for each other, they're working as peers. So that's what gives me, that's what gives me hope. That was Sima Lieberman, president of Sima Lieberman Associates. You'll find a link to her website online at rocketfuelradio.com. So what do you think? When it comes to race relations in America, what would you like to see more of in terms of shifting from awareness to action? For that matter, maybe you're seeing this happening already. I'd love to know what you're seeing and what you think is making it work. So tweet me, at RocketFuelRadio, comment on the Facebook page, or email feedback at RocketFuelRadio.com. And by the way, I'm really glad Sima Lieberman mentioned those musical collaborations. In case you hadn't heard them, one of them I absolutely love. Here's part of the one she mentioned with the rock band Imagine Dragons and rap star Kendrick Lamar. It's a version of Imagine Dragons' hit, Radioactive. Bury me alive, bury me with pride, bury me with berries that forbidden fruit and cherry wine. Thank you very much, but tonight's my night and I'm buried by swinging for the fences. Barbaric Kendrick and I don't time. Everything in life subject to change, change whip, change grind, change clothes, change opinions. Right before I change my mind, I don't really know your business. Been in this since I was bending Lego blind. Now you tell the world about me. Dry snitch, tater tots on my shotgun. I gotta pop one nectar. Skies don't let me die, gotta finish at the first rapper on Mars Mark my word, I'ma make my mark Even when they start their martial law Even when these Martians alienate my mental state is still at heart Look in my eyes, tell me I died Tell me I tried, took up on Mars Tell me you love me, tell me that I Don't give a f- I barely decide Wish you could let go my enemies All of my energy go to the almighty God I get drowned in the body Why in a sea, f*** you amenities I'm getting better with time I'm waking That is Imagine Dragons featuring Kendrick Lamar with Radioactive. And that is Rocket Fuel Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast, share it with a friend, and now you can show your financial support directly on Patreon. I would like to focus this program on you, not on appealing to advertisers. And direct support can help make that happen. You can make an ongoing monthly contribution of as little as $1 a month. And no matter how much you contribute, you'll get exclusive access to added content and online events as my way of saying thank you for your support. So contribute through Patreon. There's a link at rocketfuelradio.com. I'm Joshua Johnson. This is Rocket Fuel Radio. Radio.